please hit like, share, and subscribe. Now enjoy the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Good evening, Jim. Good evening, David. There's been a lot of shit happen. A lot of shit. Uh, d- d- Jim and I actually haven't recorded an episode in, th- in like three weeks, two weeks. Yep. It's been three yep. weeks. Um, and it's just there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. Uh, I have been on and again on and off uh, medication that made me into the Incredible Hulk. Um, and uh, without that, all the muscles, yeah, without all the muscles, <laughs> just just the mouth. And uh, that didn't help me very much. Um, And I'm all good now. Like that's that, that all, it's all water under the bridge. Um, But uh, we got some what's new stuff to share. So this week um, I'm going to share mine first because mine's easy enough. I got a BB preamp. Um, I ordered a BB preamp uh, the reverb, got it the other day. And I was hoping like, cause everybody says it's based on a tube screamer, right? Like it's very similar to a tube screamer. It's a tube screamer with a two band EQ. For all of you yep. people that told me this is a tube screamer with a two band EQ, bite me. I yeah, <laughs> I want to be like, go fuck yourself. Like, what are you? What are you even talking about? What are you yeah, exactly. even talking about? I understand that the topology, like the circuit, might be similar to a tube screamer. It might use the same chips, which I know in fact it does because you can go and look at pictures and gut shots. Um, mine is actually an early one. It's it's gooped, so you can't even see the board. Um, right, and it's. It's basically it's like a tube screamer with a lot more gain on tap. You've got active uh, treble and bass controls, but it's voiced more like a bluesbreaker amplifier, which is really funny right. because I bought it to be different than my King of Tone and my uh, Golden Boy, so I could push them in a different way. And guess what? Yep, the BB preamp sounds just like that kind of circuit, except with the tube screamer compression and mids. So it's like, well, I get, I mean, I'm, I'm not selling it. I'm keeping it, but I'm like, hmm. That's why I said to what? all of you people that said that this is a tube screamer with a, an active treble and bass control, you can go to hell. You don't know what you're talking about. Go buy a bunch of tube screamers never, and shoot them out. Cause this doesn't sound well, anything like a tube screamer. It right. really does. Well, it goes, it really goes back to the fact that people read about stuff online. And so when they make a, when they make a statement, they know this, and maybe they. I, I, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they. Maybe they want to say it, but what they rarely say is, "I've read that" or "I've heard that." Not. Not. But what they wind up saying is, "It, it is. is right." And what? And what's and really a, funny, Jim, is what I was when I was doing research. I kept seeing people saying, "Well, like I had a tube screamer, and I saw. All right, and I." Uh, have a BB preamp and I prefer the BB preamp and it's like, yep. because it's just like the tube screamer, but more like yep. you're full of crap. You have never put them on the board together. There's no way you wouldn't, you, I, I can't imagine somebody actually saying that unless they're just so out there that they're like, all drive pedals are basically the same. Like a DOD 250 kind of sounds like a tube screamer, which kind of sounds like a, you know, a super overdrive, which kind of sounds like a blues, like a, a blues driver, which kind of sounds like a blues breaker, which kind of, you know, it's like, no, no, no. 
Because I'm, I'm sure if you're paying attention, the pedals I'm pointing out, some of them have different styles of clipping. Like, there's no way, you know, it's like saying, well, it's it's an overdrive because it's not a distortion or a fuzz. Like, <laughs> so therefore, it's right. like every other overdrive. Um, it does what it does really well. I mean, honestly, you could take this thing and stick it in front of a fender amp and just like go to town. Um, and yep. I'm completely satisfied to do that. Um, I just get really weird about, and this is, I don't know, this is just kind of an obsessive thing I have about circuits in general. It applies to amplifiers, applies to pedals as well. Um, but what I've always like kind of been like, what the hell on is when you buy it, when you buy something and you're setting the controls at like nine o'clock or, or, um, I guess it's what, like three o'clock on the other side. If you're like in between nine and three, like generally I feel okay. Like this, this sort of works, but if I'm like, let's max it out, then chances are I'm not happy with it because it's like, well, there's not enough range here or all this stuff lives within like a really small range on the knob that you can use. It's like, well, guys, why didn't you figure out how to use a resistor in series with your thing so that you could, you know, so you could narrow the focus. Um, so I don't know. I that's my two cents. I think this pedal's got really usable everything in it, but it, it doesn't it doesn't really fill a new niche for me. Um it's a nice option to have around for sure. Uh and it's kind of kind of funny. And they actually just uh just as an aside, like I got a bunch of money because I'm selling a bunch of gear and most of my gear is sold at this point. I've got one thing left which is a road case. Um but I sold a guitar I sold George L's. I sold pretty much all my George L's, which is like $250, $300 worth of uh, plug-ins. And um, yep. I got I got good money for that. And so, like, I have enough money. I can build a board if I want right now. And I'm kind of like, I'm just, I'm surveying the landscape. I'm not planning on doing that. I was actually going to buy PA stuff. But um, yep. looks like the band that I was forming is sort of starting to fall through already. So I'm like, this is probably going to be, Going into another COVID hotspot season, this is probably going to be kind of a bust. So I'm going to take some time off. I'm going to try to relax a little bit, get my head back in the game, maybe write some more music um, and just kind of get my stuff more professional for a little bit and just try to because I'm also I'm going through like some uh, medication changes and things like that. And I want to be very, very careful about um, how I handle things because I don't want to have too much stress going on right now. Uh, right. And trying to juggle that and then getting podcast episodes out and stuff. It just makes more sense. So I've been looking at reverb every day um, obsessively, like, what is my next move going to be? And kind of right. thinking, like, I I would like to have – so right now I have, like, nine dirt pedals. Um, and I have, like, one delay, one reverb. I have two modulation – three modulation pedals. And realistically, the only one I really use a lot is the Univibe. And so for me, like getting a better Univibe or a second Univibe that does something different and then getting like a delay or another reverb is probably the best thing that I could focus on right now in terms of where where to use that money and 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 like build um, at least a collection of stuff that I can swap in and out and not get bored with. Cause that's kind of what I'm thinking is like, I get bored with things like right now, the board board I have put together. Um, I think I put it together in like March, June, March, May, June, somewhere in there. Um, there's another month in there too. Um, I think <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you can figure out which one, you know, it's exactly. like it's spot April. No. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, so I was like, I got this board. It's all cemented. 
All the cables are tied down. I really don't want to alter it. And I said I wasn't going to alter it through next year. So actually, the other thing I'm probably going to do is buy a little board for the house that I can just swap pedals on and off real fast and use that actually for the show, um, but also so that I can experiment more um, instead of just leaving everything like up to chance and not being able to really swap in pedals now on the main board. That's going to pretty much stay the way it is for now. Uh, right. If I find a better Univibe later, maybe the unicorn comes off and that goes on the testing bench. Um, so that's kind of what I'm thinking is like, I'll just swap out the good stuff for what's already on the board and leave the, you know, the other stuff for, you know, playtime around the house and just to keep me busy and not so bored. So you've got a what's new. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You, you've been, uh, accumu- you've been accumulating a lot of stuff. So, um, I haven't really made an announcement yet as to what I'm doing, but I think most people would probably figure it out. Uh, so I bought um, and have ordered, waiting on a few more items. Uh, I've bought several toolkits, um, very guitar specific, some very expensive and very guitar specific files, um, and uh, tape. And sandpaper and all kinds of other stuff. So, hmm, I wonder what I'm going to be doing with these. I have no idea, Jim. It sounds to me like you're actually going to start working on guitars. I'm also buying a workbench and a vice and some neck braces. Yeah, do, you have a, do you have a drill? Do you have a drill press coming? Drill press. Um, yeah. As a matter of fact. Um, I, that's an expensive item too. Uh, I have. Oh, I someone... bought one from Menards. I paid less than a hundred bucks for mine. Yeah, well, I want it to be very precise. It's got to be. I, I'm doing this. Mine works fine. <laughs> but I've I done wonder what crazy I'm... stuff with mine that you would not believe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, what else did I? Um, what else have I ordered? Oh, some lights. So I have good lighting. Some, yeah, that's critical. Uh, a lot of people forget kit, that. Or uh, yeah. Um, the tool bench, the, um, I went to Sam's and found a beautiful tool bench. I'm, I'm thinking that's going to be the one it's aluminum. Are you going to do, uh, are you going to do, get a UV, are you going to get a UV lamp and stuff too? Yep. Okay. So I wonder what I'll be doing. Well, I think we already, I think we already sort of said it, which is that you're going to be working on guitars. Uh, you might actually be working on guitars for money. Um, so, you know, that's, that's going to be a thing. It'll be interesting well, to see how that to process works license. out. Yeah. It'll be, yeah. <laughs> it'll be interesting how that process work, works out. What's a business license in your area cost? It's about 50 bucks. Oh, that's year. cheap. That's cheap. It's super cheap. Um, super cheap. Depending on where you're um, at here in uh, the good old uh, as... Chicago area, it could be thousands of dollars. <laughs> right. Well, there's a couple of, there are a couple of caveats. I can't create foot traffic, so I have to do everything right. by... Uh, mail or internet, um, which doesn't mean I can't meet someone somewhere and, and get pick a guitar some, and pick or something up, or... right? Um, or go there myself. Um, but uh, I, I can't create foot traffic in my area. Number one. Um, so, and number two. Um, well, that's really that. Number two is based on number one is that you can't have people in the shop. Because right. then you have liability stuff and everything else. That yeah, goes then you have to have insurance it. coverage and all that, right? Having home insurance, right? So that's why they do that. Um, so I have some friends that do – one guy does guitar um, painting. Uh, actually, there's a woman that does guitar painting, does specialization on 
painting guitars, uh, thinking about buying a cheap guitar, doing the setup on it, then taking it to her, having her do the painting on it, and then using that as like a. Um, there are very yeah. there are various places you can go online and buy like busted up instruments and rejected instruments. Um, if it just, just for the purposes of learning the, the craft. Um, right. so I would look into that. I don't know of any yep. of the names offhand, but I've seen them before where you can buy like rejected Gibsons and stuff. And they're like, right. they're like five, 600 bucks. But at the end of the day, when you do all the repair work, it's kind of like, right. you know, you could sell it or you can keep it as a calling card for, Hey, this thing came to me with a broken headstock, you know? Right. Right. You see um, those in a lot of like, you'll go to a, uh, a shop, a luthier shop, and you'll see like a Gibson on the wall. And you're like, why is he hanging a Gibson on the wire? Why has she got this? Yeah. Cause it's a business card. Editor. Yeah. It's a, it's a business card. It literally didn't cost much more than a business card, a little bit of time and you know, the, um, the work you put into it to set it up. Whoever the person is that, that did the work. So, right. Right. So, yeah, uh, I'm, we'll have to look I'm, into that. I'm definitely excited I'm for you. I I'm just interested in, in how this all pans out and like what it's going to look like to, to start a business. I've been talking about maybe dealing pedals or something online. It's been something I bandied about, about, you know, if my employment situation changed, like I might consider actually doing that. Um, but well, it- yeah, cause you got to think about, I'm heading into my more senior years and, um, I found out last night the three hours on stage bouncing around with nine pounds around your neck is pretty tough. Yeah, it's not fun. Um, <laughs> it can be yeah. not. It can be not. Why it can I'm, be not fun at my age, believe it or not. Um, right, which is why I'm uh, excited about this new uh, um, Ibanez coming in because as love as I, much as I love my Gibsons, um, uh, if this Ibanez feels and sounds and plays yeah. as well on stage. It's it's only like five and a half pounds. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, my, I was thrilled when I got my PRS because it's like seven pounds. Even. Yeah, it's like six point nine pounds or something. It's like seven pounds even. It's really light. But, I had my left Paul around my neck last night, and that that's only eight and a half. And I was like, I'm still hurting. And I got to play. I'm playing bass tomorrow night. So yeah, but the more you I do, the more you do it, the less that you're going to have problems with the gym. I think some of it's just being out of practice, especially oh, now yeah, during yeah. the pandemic. Like you were gigging two nights a week, most nights and or most yep. weeks. And now you're like way out of shape of doing that. And it's going to take you some, take you a while to get back into the swing of it. Out of shape is not something that right now I got. Well, that's, this is a shape. Yeah. It's, that, really that's a non, it's a non-issue. Uh, I mean, at some point it's, it's about musculature and especially yep. when playing out, like you can be fat as shit. And if you don't, if you don't go out and, and actually do it, like you're still going to feel, you're still oh, going to yeah. feel like crap afterwards. Even if you're thin, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. it's, it's all about muscle and that exists underneath that. So anyway, though, um, I'm really excited so, to hear that you're, you're hanging out a shingle. I'm, I'm curious to see how this process all works out and, um, we'll, we'll follow along your journey. I know you're planning on doing some videos and, um, yep. we'll be posting those as they won't be parts of the episodes probably, but they will be yep. something that will be independent of the episodes. Uh, I, myself, am actually looking to get back into making some regular content. Um, there's, yep. there's a couple of things that I've been waiting to film for an extremely long period of time. Um, and I got enough pedals. I, I should probably just do a video demo of each one. And just say, hey, this is, you know, spend an afternoon, get the shot set up, and then just film each one. And yep. just say, this is what this does. Enjoy. Um, I've had this expectation, and I and I want to share this with people. I've always had this expectation that it needs to be perfect, that 
No, it doesn't, though. It doesn't, though. It doesn't. It doesn't. Even yeah. um like like so for the streaming thing like my my when my wife started streaming like the first couple times it's like I can hear traffic outside people driving by I can you yeah. know I can hear you in the living room watching TV or it's like you do realize that that's going to be a normal part of this activity that you really can't silence a house like even in recordings you can hear stuff that goes on in music recordings that's like they just left it on the tape because they were like well we're not doing that again. Um, yeah. So I watched a video where Brooks and Dunn was talking about how you can hear an airplane go overhead if you, and they show it. They like isolate the track mm-hmm. and they were doing vocal tracks. This airplane just goes and they left it and they left and they, it. And they had to. It was like that 86 tank or something. I, it wasn't that high, but it was this really high number tank, but it was the best vocal tank. And they were like, you know what? We're just going to use a little on the, on the um, left and right. We'll flip the phase get and get that out. Yeah, phase out some of those uh, things, but they said, here it is isolated. You can hear it still. And yep, you could hear it. Um, and those were the early, early, early days of Pro Tools. So they, they found it. They were like, okay, let's isolate a little bit of this. But they didn't want to take out. The problem was if they did too much work on it, I think this is a lot of work. It was going to ruin the vocal integrity, right? It was going to ruin the integrity of the vocal. They didn't want to do that. They just loved the way that sounded. So we'll talk about that later when we get to uh, the gig report. So. Um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm I'm super excited. I bought this just for that. So that this this guy right here, um, he's still got the plastic on. You know, I've taken the battery out. Yeah, that'll do until you can get a real one. They're, yeah, they're not cheap. But they're like seven hundred dollars. I've uh, I've looked for one before. I do know some people who own them, and yep. they've gotten theirs used. So if you pay attention, you can get one for on the cheap. Exactly. If you're, paying attention yeah you get um, the 400 range. so you had something you wanted to talk about um or move on to the next segment you had yeah. something you wanted to talk about with fender and I'm, i'll let you take this topic because i think i think you sort of had an idea of where this is going to go and yeah so i'll follow uh, fender a lot of people have been watching this and it's more of a non-issue which is why i wanted to talk about it than than being an actual issue so fender got um there's a lawsuit um where fender got uh, sued in europe and it's really over map. This has happened in the past, by the way. So it's not like like this popped up, but I kind of take for granted that people watch the, you know, the news of this stuff. And it's not something that most people really pay attention to until they get into, like we are, into the yeah. more back-end business and news side of things. And um, really it comes down to this. So in, in several countries um, are not like the United States. So we have map, but we have map everywhere. And map, for those who don't know what that is, minimum advertised price. Um, if you go to buy a, a Nintendo Switch, you go to Target, you go to um, Best Buy, you go to Walmart, you go to your uh, GameStop, it doesn't matter. It's always the same. So nobody can win out on pricing. And that's a good thing and a bad thing. Because if you think about it, um, you, I don't know if you guys remember the days. I'm I'm a little older. You are old enough to remember this, but some people are. Where um, on the day something came out, if you were one of the early adopters, like within that first six days, for some reason it was always well, it was seven days, but the the first day was shortened because it was whatever time it hit right. the shell. Right. You could if you bought it early enough. Like I always got to bust by and buy movies. 
that week. If I knew I was going to buy a movie, a hard copy of a movie, I would go out that week because I knew that if I bought it that week, I could get a few dollars off. Um, that went for games, video games. Um, that went for a lot of things that were were normal that were map. And so if and they all kind of took turns. So like it would be Best Buy one week and Target the next week and Walmart the next week and so on and so forth. I don't know if they. And then they said, oh, well, you got to have map. We, we can't let you do that. So now, like, you'll go to Best Buy and you'll get that little thing that, that they yeah, can put they, in there. They, Best still, Buy they still get away with it based. by doing collector's editions and stuff like that. Right. They're only right. available exclusive locations. Like, that's, right. that's a whole thing. Um, and but, basically yeah, what, the, what this lawsuit, if I understand it, is in Europe, map is not legal. You can't price right. fix. Um, right. And in certain places in Europe. And so they're being sued Germany. in the European Union by Ger- in you know for German disclosure, right. which which I was surprised that Toman is actually part of the lawsuit, probably because Toman doesn't and surprise Anderson's, me. Um, probably because they're using Map to make sales, because Fender tells them this is the price, and so that's what they advertise now we all know you can we have talked about this a hundred times before so i don't want to belabor it but you can call your sweetwater rep you can talk to your guitar center rep you can call you know our favorite guitar center rep who's been on this show before um robert jackson um there are people you can call and talk to and say hey can you help me out can you give me a discount sure that's not going to be a ridiculous discount but there's still discounts. Whoops, discounts to be had. Well, it makes me wonder because their European distribution is different than the United States, and right. it makes me wonder if they don't have the ability in Europe to call up and negotiate a price with someone. Which, yeah, that's which that's wonder. typical. That's typically where this would become sticky because right. technically they're not price fixing in the states. Now there are companies that do this, so like Strymon is a classic example. Strayman's price is Strayman's price. There's no negotiation. There's no wiggle room. You're not going to get somebody to give you a deal unless you find some nope. mom and pop who's willing to sacrifice their dealership potentially yep. by selling it to you at a lower at a lower price. That's I actually right. have a um, a situation with this that that happened to me over the over our interlude, and that was um, I bought a, a Mesa Boogie Grid Slammer, and right. it was a scab. Okay, in other words, the company that was selling it, the the business that was selling it, I'll, I'll leave their name out of it. But basically, they said it was used. This pedal was not used. Okay, this pedal was probably a demo, and yep. they were closing them out. And I found out that they're actually losing their dealership potentially, um, which means that uh, they were probably some employee thought they were closing them out. And so this gets posted. I made a lowball offer. We went back four or five times. I got it for a steal, and then uh, the next day they canceled my order. And they refunded my money. And I went, well, what the hell? And they're like, well, we'll be happy to give you a discount on something else. And it's like, well, that's yeah. because, number one, they didn't want to get caught with Mesa. Number two was they did not um, – they're, they're selling a scat pedal, right? Like, And they probably actually had somebody in store who was looking at it, and they go, we'll give it to you for X, which is probably $10 more than what I paid. And right. so they just – quietly canceled my order and didn't sell it to me which kind of sucks if you ask me but um that's that's fine uh that's how i turned around and got the bb preamp instead so um it's yep. just a really weird situation to be in when you're dealing with map prices because 
it, map doesn't necessarily mean that they have to commit to those prices. Now, when you're talking about DVDs and that kind of thing, they do it with TVs. It's another Sony has like price control. Um, and what they do is they basically create SKUs specifically for certain stores. They have certain features or a certain size and they each one has their own specific niche that they get. And that's how they get around it. Um, yep. But it is, there is no negotiation in those price points. So it's interesting that um, this lawsuit's happening over there. It makes me wonder, and I'm sure we have European listeners. We know for a fact we do. Um, I would be, I would love for somebody to join the Facebook group and chime in and explain to right. us what the, what the uh, pricing distribution looks like over there. Although it's also worth noting, um, we take a lot of things for granted here in the States price-wise that like are not the case in Europe. So I was having a conversation about Marshall um, with somebody the other day. And I said, you know, you do realize that Marshall's like really cheap in Britain because there's no tariffs. It's right. actually cheaper than Fender is over there by a lot. Yeah. Um, yep. It's cheaper than Mesa Boogie by a lot. Mesa Boogie on average is $600 more in Europe than it is here. And so, right. and Fender is like $400 or $300 more in Europe than it is here. Whereas, and that's because Macy uses an independent distributor. Um, whereas Fender has at least some representation over there that's not cutting themselves in. I, I don't know if they have like Fender, Fender Europe. I suspect they do. Um, yep. Yeah. Thomas Blue got an award from them. He's a Strat King of yeah. Europe. And that was Fender Europe. So, they have some sort of Europe, European office that probably handles distribution and shipping and, and right. logistics and all that for, for U.S. goods, um, which means that they're just paying, you know, those people and probably tariffs and that kind of stuff and the shipping costs, oh, right. which, which, which equates to about $200 or $300 more per, per item. Right. Um, right. That would be Fender Mexico, Fender, in other words, Fender Squire, they would pay the same as us because all that stuff's kind of happened with us the same it does for them. Yeah, um, for the most part, it is. They they do, I, from my understanding, they do actually adjust the prices to be more in line with right, keeping right. the line cohesive, but it's, again, not, that's but that it's, not, sig yeah. it's not significant. Um, yep. It's not like, oh, well, this Squire is going to be $100 more. It might be $30 more, 30, you know, 20 pounds right. more or something. Um, now, so something... It's just interesting yeah. to think about when you when you see people on the internet, especially when you if you participate in the forums and you see people like saying, "Man, I got this new Marshall," and somebody says it's a cheap piece of shit, and everybody goes, "It's a Marshall. They're not cheap because most of the people in their forum are in the U.S., but they don't realize the guy says cheap piece of shit's probably in England, and right. <laughs> he really believes it's cheap, you know? Right, right. Well, so um, uh, Phil McKnight uh, was talking about. This and one of the things that he said was it that advertising, like a lot of people say, well, like why can't I get like you know how um, Guitar Center will say this coupon applies to everything except for these ten thousand brands. Those are all map brands. Yeah, so well, Guitar that's Center not map. Doing, that's a pricing commitment. It's a pricing right. agreement. That's right. that's separate. And map is just this is what we want you to sell it at. Pricing right, agreement right. is a separate thing. Right, but they're pricing it to. Typically, they're pricing it. They're agreeing to price it to map. That's why they're saying, "Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna do that." I'm not saying that everything they is map in deal, there. But, they just don't allow deals on that stuff. That's basically right. what it is. It's an agreed to fixed price. Right, except they do, and that's the thing. Most of those coupons that say you can't use them on those, guess what? You can. 
Um, it, it now, not every it one depends. of them. It depends. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. Not every one of them, and they do have to respect some of those. Because here's what I found out. So with MAP, and this was the thing that Phil McKnight mentioned because he had a store, um, that I found interesting was, so a customer went to some store. I don't care if it was Guitar Center or what. I don't know. He didn't say. But he went there, and they wouldn't make him a deal. So he went to – and it was on a PRS McCarty, like a really expensive McCarty. And they would not make him a deal. And he said, I want this one. So he went – this customer went to Phil McKnight, said, hey, would you make me this deal? And Phil McKnight was like, heck, yeah, I'll make you that deal, and I'll throw in a free PRS SE with the, on top of it. <laughs> and for yeah. It. So – then the guy took the receipt and the free PRS, went to the auto dealer and goes, look what Phil McKnight did for me. <laughs> Whatever Phil's, Phil's um, uh, store was. And they went, oh, yeah, well, we're going to report them to PRS. And they did. So, it, and here's what happened now. He said, typically what happened is all you get is your rep calling you up going, all right, don't do that again. Now I'm going to yell at you for the equal amount of time I got yelled at by my supervisor for you doing that. Depends on the com- so, depends on the company. Oh, it depends on the company. Now, one of the companies now this um, this kind of almost a new. I don't know if you know this. Guitar Center is now going to call carry Mesa. And that's uh, actually that's the next topic. Let's let's avoid that if we oh, can. Oh, it is okay. Yeah. Okay, I was you can bring that. that I, was, I actually added that because I was like, "We're going to talk about okay, that." Because <laughs> I was going to say you didn't tell me, and I was like, no. "I can't believe you didn't mention it." No, no, uh, they I, are one of those companies that does not handle people breaking the rules well. Yeah, well, um, they're going to now. We're going to have to now. So <laughs> I'm going to let you finish this topic and take us into the next one. Yeah. So just just as a, a, a like to kind of round this out. Um, the brands that you, that I know that are really an issue with the the fixed with the fixed pricing agreement stuff, uh, UAD, UAD will not give you a deal, um, and they will not allow their vendors to give you deals. Um, what they do is they oh well you get free plugins, um, and it's just it's just an excuse for you to de- get deeper into their ecosystem, which is part part of the reason why you hear me pissing and moaning about uh, walled gardens over there. Um, the other company that will not give you a deal is, um, Strymon that, that one is well known and Mesa Boogie for the most part, you're going to have a hard time getting a dealer to give you a deal. You'll find scabs. They do exist. Look for a dealer that sucks. That doesn't have a lot of stuff, um, that may be on the verge of losing their dealership and they may be willing to make a deal with you because chances are whatever, for whatever reason, their clientele doesn't buy Mesa Boogie stuff. And that's why they're, why they're looking to get out. So it's worth noting. I mean, if you're if you're thinking about it, those are the three brands that are like most synonymous with. We don't play games with those guys because Mesa Boogie's rep- reputation is you screw up, you're done. Um, and that's part of the reason why they ended up pulling the plug on on what is allegedly one of their most lucrative deals, which was the first time around the Guitar Center. Which all right, so we're gonna switch topics. Obviously, the elephant in the room. Is that Mesa Boogie is back at Guitar Center? I called this. And, I called um, this when Gibson came I think, in. I think I think we it. I think we both said it. I I think we said that there was going to be wider distribution. But um, so I've actually talked to some dealers. I won't share anything that's uh, uh, that's troublesome. Um, right. There were some things that were told to me that I was like, 
that's interesting and very salacious, but it's not something that I want to report because I don't know the validity. I don't want to incriminate anyone. And um, we can talk about that stuff offline. If you want to send me a private message, I might be able to, I won't exactly tell you what I know, but I'll tell you enough. Um, Yep. It's interesting. And some of the stuff that you're probably suspecting in your head when you hear this news is probably things yeah. that might have actually happened. Um, so basically, they're back at Guitar Center. The only thing available right now is pre-order. And it's funny because they're still not shipping shit. So it's like you're back at Guitar Center, but you're not producing enough equipment to actually provide inventory, which is absolutely right. insane. <clears throat> um, which is why... At least in the beginning, I don't think we're going to see anything in a guitar center. And even if it do, it'll be like L.A., oh, no. New York. Oh, no, my friend. Uh, Mesa Boogie's reps have been very clear that this stuff will be stocked in stores when it is available. Um, they will be well, going back to a, a traditional Mesa Boogie store style of arrangement with with um, Guitar Center being able – now, they were, they're going to push it in certain locations, but – um, we'll see, we'll see where it ends up, but basically if your location has a platinum room, you can probably expect to see Mesa Boogie stuff show up. Um, <clears throat> right. That's not all guitar centers. Not all guitar no. centers have a platinum no. room. No, But so here's the, here's the, here's the, um, the way this is being framed. Um, Mesa says we have real problems getting dealers in states like Idaho, Montana, um, New Mexico, places like that where, um, there's just not a lot of population. And yep. so like a brand like Guitar Center, and they call them a brand because that's that's basically what they are, really. Yeah. Um yeah. is a good representation of their product in the fact that they can get it in front of people. Now, from the Mesa dealers that I know locally, and there's at least three that I've talked to um in the in the last couple of weeks. Um, what is, what the, the, the rumblings under the ground is, this doesn't mean anything to the mom and pops because they're sitting there going, first off, Guitar Center's never going to stock anything that's custom. It's going to be black on black, just like it was years ago. It's going to be, it's going to be, you know, one by twelves combos and then four by twelves and, and very little two by twelves. Cause, cause it's, you know, you're the bedroom player that thinks you need a four by 12. It's going to be, um, a lot of rectifier ish stuff. Yeah. Probably not as much Mark, probably not as much. Um, even the Fillmore and Cali Tweed will probably yep. not be big items. That's exactly what I was going to say. You won't see the really nice stuff in guitar center. It's going to be mostly the heavy metal. But here's what I was told by, by one of the dealers. This wasn't mm-hmm. good time. I'll, I'll be blunt i do not want to uh i do not want to throw stones at anyone but but it wasn't them someone said we used to fix all of the stuff that comes out of guitar center anyway because they the people yeah. would buy jacked up lone stars and the biggest problem that guitar <clears throat> center had was even though they were dealing mesa boogie if you didn't know anything about the product you couldn't get somebody that knew about the product they had no idea how to dial that shit in um, they, in fact, uh, one of the, one of the dealers said that, you know, it took them a while to figure out how to dial certain things in on those amps because they're just not, they're not necessarily known for being intuitive. Now, right now they're in the golden age, right? So like everything that they've got right, right now is pretty intuitive. It's a little right. bit different scenario. So I kind of take that one with a pinch of salt, but 
I don't think the mom and pops are concerned about this, but it's funny because for it's funny because it's true <laughs> for for the Mesa Boogie like aficionados, the people that are right. in these fan forums just going nuts over this. Um, they're kind of like they're looking at this and going, "This is just Gibson basically um, uh, throwing the country under, the country the company under the bus." And it's like, well, now you're just going to sell to everyone because you're going to be in the same stores we are. And well, we're like, I'm like, but how, but realistically, that even though their model worked currently, that's not a sustainable model for growth because you need like widespread distribution through internet channels in order to grow your company today. It's pretty yeah, well, clear <clears throat> we're going to be going into a post-COVID economy. And I think the idea of the pig and the poke, that, that just got sank. I mean, people are willing to buy stuff without seeing it now. So, right. I, I want to say this. So, yeah, more people are. Um, I, I'm still a little leery of used stuff over the, you know, over the thing. But <clears throat> whatever. But here's here's my take on it. Look, I've got two pre-orders that are not cheap and both coming from the internet. Neither one built yet, much less you know. We talked. We talked about that. <clears throat> um, I have this to say about the Guitar Center thing. Well, number one, I don't think Guitar Center is really going to be an entity of this. Even me, who who worked there part time, who you know, usually I try pretty, to be the devil's been advocate pretty, for it. You've been pretty pro Guitar Center. I mean, that's yeah, well, I try to be the dev, devil's advocate because it's easy to throw on <clears throat> on yeah, big companies. Yeah, anybody can so pile on. in on that one. <laughs> yeah, and it's easy to do. I I'm thinking about doing a special of just. Here's what's good and here's what's really bad um, <clears throat> because from the inside. Uh, but I want to say this most importantly, and that, and that, is, that is that I think personally um, that Guitar Center, even as somebody who's been that person that's been defensive or defended, um, I don't think of Guitar Center when I think of amplifiers. I just don't. No. It's not where I would go to get or even even the ones they carry. Vox, Marshall, um, you know, we could go on Fender, you know, I, I live, Friedman. I how, many live. how many times have you seen a, a Friedman, a good Friedman, not, not, I'm not saying that they're bad amps, not the, not the lunchbox size or the, the slightly big, the lunchbox for me, obviously size. They, I'm talking about the, the really well-loved Friedman's yeah, guitar the B100, the, the butter slacks, right. you know, that stuff. You might see a little one there. You might see a BE in there once in a while. Maybe one guitar center out of, like, you know, maybe 10 in, you, in your driving area. Well, I can explain some of this, but... Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I, I'm just saying that, that that's not something I think of when I go into guitar center. Then I'm going to see a really nice Marshall or a really nice – they get excited as heck when they get one good Marshall. Right now, ours has – well, a few days ago, ours had a um, BE, a really nice BE sitting on top of a really nice brand-new Marshall cab. I was like, wow. And that – and you know what was funny is the Friedman and the Marshall cab, the, the Tolex – um, or what do they what do they put over the the speaker uh, the grill the grill over the speaker matched perfectly. I was like, wow! Did did Friedman go over there and go? Yeah, let me see if I can make that. Yep. Oh yeah, they've got these little things. 
It was really beautiful. But I'm just saying, do you really ever think of Guitar Center when you think of an amp fire? Or maybe a used one that you see at a Guitar Center? Maybe. So so that's why I was gonna um I was gonna talk about so like I've got I my location here is one of the two flagship locations in the Chicago area. We have Chicago downtown and we have um we have uh, Arlington Heights, which really serves the burbs, say, but but also right. serves the the greater Chicago area. And right. um so I go in the Chicago store. I used to go in there probably once a month. Um, And I watched over six years where it declined from having like quality stuff to when Marshall had like, you know, they had full representation. Like you find the whole line there. And now there's like two amps and there's like, they usually have a pretty good fender complement, but they got katanas, fenders. They got the low end orange stuff. They got, yeah. you know, two two Vox AC-15 or AC-30s from China and yeah. then like the two Marshalls. And then in the Platinum Room, it's mostly used stuff and there might be like two really good new amps in there. Um, yeah. And uh, the so the Friedman thing is interesting because the – all right. So despite what you might think about this whole situation – a lot of these little companies really don't want to do that much business with with Mace or with Mace Wing, with um with Guitar Center. And right. here's the reason why. So they got the same problems Mace Boogie does, which is low capital, and they can't afford to have something sitting in a shop before they get paid. And so the way that Guitar Center typically works is like, oh, it's gonna, you know, we'll put it in our store, and then y- your terms are net 60 or net 90. And they may not pay 90. you in 90 days because they'll pay you in right. the, they'll pay the interest when it sells because they may be That's sitting right. there thinking like, we're going to make enough money on this that we'll, we'll be able to pay the interest off. And they play games That's like right. that. And so, and they know that they know that they, they, um, that, that margin, some of that margin built in is the fact that they know they're going to wind up paying interest on some of that stuff that sits there. I, I've seen high end stuff sit for a year. At our guitar center, because who walks into guitar center thinking I'm going to buy a five thousand dollar Petrucci Music Man? Yeah, in Virginia I mean, Beach. I mean, they, it's it's a it's a wild thing. Um, it it never ceases to amaze me the amount of guitars and amps that companies produce that like are out of the realm of affordability that you know are going to end up in a guitar center like showroom somewhere and literally never move. Um, oh, yep. So anyway, as far as that's concerned, I think there's a little bit of stuff going on with Friedman where it's like we're going to sell a certain amount of amps to you um, and that's it, which is why you don't see them. But in the beginning, they were like hand over fist. Friedman was everywhere in Guitar Center here in in the Illinois area and multiple locations because I think it was like maybe a little bit of yeoman pride, like not really realizing what was going to happen and why Mesa Boogie was so protective and why they didn't want to get into that nightmare. Um, so, yep. Or again, anyway. So yeah. it, it is what it is. The, the, the landscape is changing. <clears throat> we don't know what this means long-term for Mesa Boogie. Uh, we do know that there's been no um, there's been no change in staffing over there other than they've actually been hiring people. Um, yep. they, if you've been watching Instagram, their Instagram, they've been putting up job ads um, looking yeah, for technicians Andrew, and everything else. So, with everybody, yeah. Um, well, Mesa Boogie's case, it's interesting because they're, they're having problems with demand. So if they're hiring people, it looks like they're going to fill that demand. That's what they're going to try to do. And they're going to try to keep that demand up. So maybe this was an effort to like bring people on and say, we're going to go over to Ma- or over to um, Guitar Center so that we can continue to have that demand and fill that demand. 
I don't right. know. I'm just saying now they're in a little different shape because they have capital from um, right. Gibson, Gibson being being pushed in and also expected to go out. So right. in order for that to happen, then they have to start really marketing stuff. So actually, if anything, you know, people are saying there's going to be price tags for um, for Mesa Boogie. I I actually expect you're going to see price cuts, and I don't actually know how they're going to pull that off in terms of maybe just cheaper labor. I. I yeah. I don't know, but I, Gibson's going to force that at some point. There's because if they're going to try to get massive representation, they got to get the price point down so the stuff will actually sell um, in order for them to be profitable. And I think they're under new leadership. I think there's a lot of scrutiny there, and I think they sort of know that that's something that needs to happen for them to have a successful amplifier line out of Mesa Boogie inside Guitar Center. Maybe yeah. they maybe they're not interested in having a successful line inside guitar. Maybe center. maybe not. Maybe, maybe they don't care. Like I said. Maybe it's collateral marketing, just like what Friedman does, where <laughs> we'll have a couple yeah. around so people can go check them out and then right. buy them online from us. Because that's, that's really right. what and, the and model is. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. I mean, I look at um, that my Mesa will probably either come from my local reps uh, Alpha or our local store, I should say Alpha, or from Sweetwater. Yeah. Because. If I get one, I'm going to pay a premium price for a guitar amp, and it's going to be – What I mean, you want. It's kind of like I may as well get a nice Tolex that's a color that I like, you know? Yeah. Or it's a blue or whatever. So I'm, I'm excited. Again, I don't think that – I don't think that – I think people who are in the, the back end of things like us and our listeners – It's just a, bu- a business decision. It, it's just yeah, a business I, decision. I don't think this is going to affect things at – all it's just all. a business decision now whether right. the whether the quality of the product changes over long term that's a good question and no one knows the answer to that yet well we know that eventually randall will not be a part of it and things will change i mean that's eventually like, that's people like die say, i i wrote i wrote to uh, um uh, college uh, uh when i was in college i wrote a uh a thesis on the changes of walmart uh that would happen um once Sam Walton died, that to give you an idea of when I was going to business college. Yeah. Um, and let's just say I called it. I yeah. called it. I knew that it would turn into Kmart, and it did. Yeah. Well, it's more, it's <clears> worse Walmart, than Kmart now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Walmart makes Kmart like I wish Kmart was back because at least they had blue light specials. Walmart does not have blue light specials. Anybody old enough to remember blue light specials will know why I, I still like blue light specials or yeah. would like to have them. Yeah, well, anyway. we get, can we get can we get Guitar Center to offer red light specials? Oh, that would be wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> I mean, seriously, like it's you know, so creepy. <laughs> it was another no. This was another oh, and and oh, by the way, just to go back to that Phil McKnight thing, he said that the reason that that they would slap your it, people said that's not advertising. That's just some guy bragging about he got a, a deal. You didn't advertise that. You can construe the receipt being put in public. As advertising, that was the that was the thing. It doesn't that matter. Said. You sign an agreement that says you're going to sell at that price, and if you don't sell at that price, and well, they no, find it's, out, it's an advertised price. You can do under the advertised price. You're just not supposed to. It's not supposed to become advertised. And depends so on your, it depends just, on your agreement very that's much. Right. So. It does, <laughs> it, that's right. It does depend. That's why some companies they have to stick to it. Rickenbacker is one of them. Rickenbacker is really. You're not even bad allowed to post your prices. You can't even. That's right. You can't I don't, even print the I price. I don't even think they can sell them online. Can they? They they for a while yeah. were not allowing people to sell online. Right. I know that they only recently allowed selling online. That's why Sweetwater can sell them now. Sweetwater carries Rickenbackers, but believe me, they don't have any. Neither yeah. does anybody else. 
that Rickenbacker's worst of Mesa as it comes to getting gear. Uh, you can get them at Chicago <laughs> Music Exchange from time to time. They usually have yeah. a couple in stock when they come when they come in, and they don't sell super fast. So, um, but anyway, yeah. so that's that's that topic, right? We talked about Mesa Boogie. Yeah. We talked about map pricing. And now we're going to talk about this is this is a big issue. Um, this affects a lot of people. We're going to talk about a tube shortage. This is a nightmare scenario for many, many people who listen to this podcast. Yeah, and um, if you think getting your Mesa is tough now, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, well, so they use tubes branded from rebranded tubes from all three of the factories that exist. Okay, so let's just let's right. just be real here. If you don't know your vacuum tube history, and around the nineties, there were really only two factories left making tubes. I can believe there's three. Um, and then one of them closed their doors for about six months and people panicked and they started panic buying tubes. Um, and um, who's the guy from Electroharmonics? Mike Matthews, yep. went, who already had business ties in Russia, bought the Russian tube factory that closed down and has successfully turned it into a very profitable manufacturer of tubes. There's a very good chance... If you're using tubes that like they're electroharmonics tubes, if you use Tung Soul, they're EHX. If you use EHX, they're obviously EHX. Um, EHX sells tubes to Mace Boogie. They sell tubes to, you know, all kinds of brands, Groove Tubes, whoever. Um, and there's some other interesting tube manufacturer stuff that we could talk about. But for the most part, like everything came out of three places. They came out of Mike Matthews factory in oh. in Russia, there is a factory in Eastern Bloc in the Eastern Bloc Soviet Union. Um, so, like, I think they're in Slovakia. That's what I want to say. Um, and that's JJ, right? So, all the JJ branded tubes are really this other company that's making tubes in, in Slovakia, and then they're rebranding them. Okay, um, and then yep. there is Shiguang, which has now closed its doors. Um, and nobody really knows what's going on with Shug Wang. So uh, Guitar Center, not Guitar Center, uh, Guitar World posted an article um, talking to Mike Matthews about this. And he basically said, like, the, the way it was written, at least to me, was like kind of cryptic. Like, we don't really know what happened. They're not producing tubes. And some people think that they're moving the factory. Other people think they close their doors. So it's not really clear what's going on. Um, but at least for the time being... Tubes are going to be a little bit harder to find. In fact, I um, I got smart and I found a local dealer. If you want to know why I've been talking to local dealers and bought oh, myself yep. some 606 power tubes for my Fillmore, just because yep. I know that there's a very good chance that I will want to swap them out and it may be harder Ooh. to acquire going into the future. I might, I might need to buy some tubes for the Mesa. They're Marshall. The prices may go up slightly. Right now, Mesa's holding tight on, on their, their prices, but... Um, it's an interesting conundrum because I've heard people talking about, well, maybe we should just go over to Axe Effects or Fractal or, or Helix or Kemper or Quad Cortex or whatever other digital solution um, that gets pretty close. And I, I just, I kind of shake my head because I want to, I want to point out something. There is a market for this stuff. We showed last year the amount of crap that we all bought with stimulus yeah, checks, we're willing to buy <laughs> that there is a market for this stuff. And there right. are entrepreneurs in this industry 
somebody like Behringer, for example, Uli Behringer, might be like, you know what? Sort of makes sense for us to open up a tube facility at our campus in Shaguang or whatever. Um, Right. And I forget where his, his, his campus is located. They got a big ass factory would not be a stretch for them to make a state of the art tube manufacturing facility and start turning out tubes that we can all use and benefit from. Um, I honestly, so this is where we get into the manufacturing side of this. So there's one thing that, that we need to, we need to explain to our listeners. When, when you hear people like um, Dr. Z, Paul Rivera uh, talk yep. about tubes, they talk about the declination of the, um, of quality in modern tubes. There's a very simple explanation for this. The tooling that they used to produce to tubes, like the metal, the metal uh, pieces and filaments and all that stuff inside, um, is only supposed to last for a certain amount of tubes before it gets replaced. And at least in the EHX factory, they've stretched that stuff like for like 25 years and yep. literally million used it millions of times more than they should have. Um, which is why the quality of tubes is slowly degrading. I'm sure they're doing some work to improve the dyes, but I, but from what I've been hearing from places like Dr. Z and others is that that's part of the reason why um, they would rather use uh, an off kilter, new old stock tube rather than the new ones, because it's harder to get new quality ones. Um, I would love for someone to look at Shugwang and want to fill that void and say, you know what? We're not going to use this 60 year old or eight, 60, 80 year old bullshit to make tubes. We're going to, we're going to build a state of the art factory and we're going to do it in a new way. And it's going to be geared completely for the musician. And so we're only going to produce six L sixes, EL 34s, you know, 12 AX sevens and variations therein, right? 50, 57, 71s and all that yep. nonsense. Yep. Yeah. Um, Once you get out of six L sixes, EL eighty fours, those those famous ones, I don't give a crap. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So so like that's why I'm I'm kind of looking at this. I'm, I see it as a blessing and a curse. So if we weather the storm, um, vote with your wallets. Obviously, I would recommend if you if you are a tube guy, you mm-hmm. like tubes, you like vintage gear, buy yep. tubes. Show them right. with your wallet that you that's still right. want the, the, this to exist. Right, that there is a market. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. somebody, and I, I would not be shocked at all if it wasn't Uli Berenger, because we've already seen him take opportunities like this by building. He makes basically the um, the bucket brigade ship that everyone uses now. Um, yep. he had it. He had it designed, and he's having it made and yep. selling them to equipment manufacturers. So he's got a. So if you bought like your really fancy. Uh, delay. Chances are you gave Uli Berenger money, so don't get yep. mad when you buy one of his little plastic pedals, because um, it's basically got the same some of the same componentry that even the really super expensive stuff does, which is yep. kind of funny. Um, we talked about this before with uh, with um, germanium stuff. If there's a market for it, somebody's going to get somebody to make it again, and it happened with with Dunlop went out and sourced new germanium transistors and there's still people debating whether that actually happened but the people in the know are like yeah it probably happened because it's not that it's not rocket science it's just like full tone going and making the phasal inductors again 
I mean, they just, they found a place, they had the spec, they had a bunch of examples. They said, make us these. And they were like, okay. Um, and so now we have this, this glut of all these vintage parts that were unobtainium that are now being produced again, which is really wild. Don't you think you just have to have economy yeah. of scale. You need a company like Behringer who's got insane amounts of capital and is willing to produce tubes for the rest of us to use. And I, I, right. I'm willing to bet if they start producing tubes, they're going to be better quality than what's coming out of EHX. Because like I said, they're not going to do it. They're not going to buy, you know, 60-year-old vacuum tube produce, production equipment. They're going to redesign it from the ground up. And they're going to get, yeah. you know, they'll have state-of-the-art tube testing. And because, you know, like when you go to when you go to your tech and if he's got a tube tester, chances are that's been in use since the 50s. I mean, the, the the computerized one that that Mesa Boogie has is like uber rare because nobody was testing computer or testing tubes with computers. By the time computers came around, everything was moved over to solid state. So you know, yep. um, it's just it's it's kind of wild when you think about all the the fact that we're still based on this technology that's like was really the bread and butter of the 1920s and 1930s, right? Um, and persisted for us because it was really convenient and cheap. Um, even some of the tubes we were using in, in some of those early 1950s, 1960s amplifiers were done because you could buy them by the truckload for like next to nothing. People didn't, yep. transistors were expensive in the beginning. You didn't want to use transistors. Right. And then when the price curve changed and transistors became cheaper than tubes is when you saw companies start to explore solid state amplification. So, yep. um, my gut take on this, Jim, is that tubes going away for a little bit, some some particular tubes and uh, specific manufacturer. It's a non-issue. It's it this is this is news, but it's but it may actually wind up being good news um, before yeah. it's over with. And I and I think that's very likely. I I'm, I'm sure that you're gonna be able to find other podcasts where they're just going, holy crap, this is unbelievable. We're all gonna have to, you know, move. no. Stop yeah. it. That's clickbait. It's not gonna happen. Um, exactly. So pay a couple bucks, get some tubes now, hold on to them. In a year or two, this will all be a distant memory. And and and, and or there'll still be a shortage, but we'll know where we're going because um, somebody will have already jumped in at that point and said, nah, we're not going to let this continue for very long because uh, there's money to be made here. Um, think about that. You'd have the entire industry by the gonads if you were to yeah. do if you were to do this like – Marshall's not going to buy tubes from JJ or whoever else. If you're producing the best quality stuff, Fender's not going to do it. You know, right. like you, you'd, you'd literally be in bed with everyone in the industry. They'd have right. to buy from you because there's, it doesn't make sense to buy anywhere else. So right. I'm kind of shocked this hasn't happened already. But I also think that, that China has different rules and restrictions. And since the, the Shugwang factory, um, I forget what the name of the company is that owned that factory. Um, since that factory was already, um, in existence, they may have had a limit on how many tube factories they allow in the country, right? which may have prevented somebody like Uli Berenger from doing that. But we also know that China money talks. So if he really wanted to, he probably could have done it already. And, um, so we'll see, we'll see how this all pans out. I think some companies are sort of looking at like, well, we've got all these surplus Russian military tubes that we could just use up. And so until, you know, until this all blows over, I think you'll see, you'll see some interesting designs come out, I think too. So, 
Um, anyway, uh, that's that topic. I didn't want to. I don't dwell on that too long. Do you have anything to add before we move on? No, I think um, there's always been room uh, for improvements. Um, and as you said, a really strong manufacturer in the tube industry right now um, with a good quality uh, component. Because at least at the moment, if we think about it, there's been the the um, uh, the people that are that are building amps that are high end. Um, there's more selling than ever. And. Um, uh, that, as you said, that if somebody new came into the, this is the, this is the time to strike. If yeah. somebody new comes into the market, this is the time to do it. Now is the time to, to strike while the iron is hot, so to speak. Um, but man, you have to be um, an electrical engineer. You have to have the the capital. You have to have. I mean, you don't have to be an engineer, I guess, if you if you know people and the right people and you got the money. But for a VC, like a what's that guy's name, Mark, um, whatever from that, those guys from the Shark Tank, that's that's really a good time for them to strike and, and yeah. hit it hard. Yeah, there is one of them, the older guy, um, uh, that he looks, um, he's a, he's a little bit older with grayish hair. I didn't know he he buys and sells. He's he's already a guitar guy. He's mm-hmm. already in this market. He's one of those collectors. He's a Joe Bonamassa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, uh, he's got a couple of little videos. I can't remember what his name is though. But from Shark Tank that that does that. I wouldn't be so. su- I wouldn't be surprised if I mean so like this is something that that's worth mentioning. Um, people seem to think that like if if the tube factories go down for good that people like Joe Bonamassa won't be able to get tubes, and once they all dry up, which could be twenty thirty years. Um, I mean, we, we tend to think that like, because tubes are a hundred dollars each new old stock, that there's not a whole lot of them. There are people hoarding them and they're setting the market prices. So they're, they're still out there. I figure we got, we got probably 50 years on existing tube stock, but here's the funny part. So people think that like, you need a factory to do this. There are videos of people making tubes in their house on YouTube. It's a painstaking process, but for people like Joe Bonamassa, he'll pay a thousand dollars a set. I mean, I mean that, that guy doesn't care. So at the end of the day, it's not going to go away. It might become a super vintage enthusiast thing, but it's not, it's not going to die. Like it, this is the, you know that's the end of end game of all of this. If if for some reason my prediction doesn't pan out, you will eventually, fifty years down the line, probably before my death, probably there will be people making tubes out of their house, selling them um, for insane prices. But it's because there's a lot of labor involved. I mean, it'll take you a well, day to make a set. I mean, it's not it's not like you're going to be able to do it in an afternoon. Um, right. Right, back in the days of ham radio enthusiasts and stuff, and they're still there out there, but not as, not as many. Um, uh, they're uh, in sh- shortwave, and uh, anyway, that that really did uh, push the tube market because, just like guitar, those are the best uh, transmitters for the longest time, mm-hmm. and uh, there were people building those tubes, um, and those are big tubes. Yeah, can, yeah, they're the size of a person in some cases. They're yeah, massive. Yeah. I've actually, um, yeah. my buddy had a tube was broke. 
um, they had a tube in their house that was from a radio facility and it was, it was two feet around. Um, yeah, and they yeah. kept it, it was damaged, but they kept it cause they're like, these things new are like $20,000. Oh, I know. You know, know. it's like, it was like, yeah, some guy built this, you know, over a weekend, you know, yeah, kind of deal. That's crazy, right? And it's like, oh, all right. Well, <laughs> I mean, I don't know why you have a broken one, but okay. <laughs> um, I know it's cool. I'll, I'll give you that. It is cool as hell. Um, I mean, it's something that, that that's you literally have uh, a, a thing in glass. It's already in its glass. You got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's let's switch to the next topic. So, Jim, you were talking about Joe Bonamassa and some recent sales. Yeah, yep. sales. And I think one of them was uh, 59 less Paul that he sold, yep. um, which he buys and sells stuff like that all the time. Yep. So uh, people think that he only acquires 59s. Now, he sells them quite a bit, actually. That they, yeah. Some people have referred to him as the dealer. Um, yeah. If you want one, that's I'm where you go. Curator. <laughs> yeah, he, he likes to have them, but he, but he also realizes like there's a finite amount and he'd rather put them in a musician's hands sometimes. Um, right, like right. he lo- like he loaned one to Josh Smith. He said, "Here, take my fifty nine on the road." Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Josh is like, "I ain't doing that. You're nuts." And then yeah. he, and then he thought about it. And he said, "No, actually, that's a good idea. I'm gonna do it." Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but like uh, you know, he's he he sells stuff all the time. So here's here's the um, here's the story, and you probably already heard this. Some I'm sure another podcast is reported on this by the time this comes out. Uh, he sold an NFT of one of his. Is it a new song? I think it was a new one, right? Yeah, it's a new song. Nobody's heard yet. It's a right. demo or something. Yeah. How much to go for? Do you know? I don't know. It was. It, we're talking a lot of money. Tens, of, tens of thousands of dollars, probably. Yeah. Potentially yeah. more. Um, and I, you know, Joe and I, like, I've made jokes about Joe on the show a lot. And I, I you know, we called him boner ass at one point. Um, <laughs> I have a tremendous respect for Joe. Like, I'm going to be real. Like, I... Um, I think Joe is like a, like a museum um, in that when you go see him, the whole thing is like, you're going to stand in the audience and you're going to see what rock and roll look like, you know, in the seventies, like it's the full on experience with the crazy guitars that are, uh, you just don't see anymore. And that whole shebang. Right. Um, yep. And I think he has done more for the guitar community in the last 10 years, probably than anyone else um, in terms of just elevating people that he knows that are great players that deserve a limelight and producing other people's records and being responsible yep. for a lot of the, what, what people think is the quintessential modern blues sound um, and that kind of thing. Um, but the NFT thing like really kind of pisses me off. Um and and I, I want to share this with our listeners so that they understand because I because I know that there's already been some stuff said on other podcasts that is just like, where the hell do you think you, what do you think an NFT actually is? Um, right. NFT, I, I'll tell you what NFT is. And this is this is going to be like a David's rant section. But like an NFT is bullshit. It's what it is. When you buy an NFT, you need to understand something. Um, it doesn't matter whether it's a song. It doesn't matter whether it's art. What you're actually buying is a blockchain. Okay, so it's a, it's a segment of a blockchain that says this is attached to this particular piece and you own the first copy of it. And this is the verification that you own the first copy. Of it. That's what an NFT actually is. Okay, 
So here's why this is dumb. Because NFTs are always attached to digital stuff. And so, like, they'll send you, oh, you have an NFT, and then here's the GIF of this famous emoji, right? Like, you bought the emoji NFT. You do realize that in the digital world, copies actually exist, i.e., it doesn't really matter whether you have the quote-unquote original because you don't, number one. You can't. That is unless you have the physical hard drive that it was created on, you don't have the right. original copy. And even then, that's a sketchy proposition unto itself because files can be moved around the system and it doesn't necessarily just remove it from a partition table and then reattach it to this other place on the partition table. So if, it get, if a file gets copied, pasted, moved, it's no longer an original, right? Except that it is because it's the exact same thing. You literally clone yep. something. There's no consciousness attached to it. It doesn't have any individuality to it. It's not like, okay, so we're going we're gonna to work our way through different examples. All right, so in the painting world, if you were to buy a Van Gogh painting, and everybody knows what Van Gogh paintings look like, right? Um, let's say you buy Starry Night. You buy a copy of Starry Night, okay? Um, it's a copy. Because it's he didn't not every single brush stroke was replicated completely accurately, not like the original, where you could use computer telemetry to look at the original and find out each individual brush stroke that was applied to the canvas, and that is part of the individuality of that painting. It's not like that. You can literally take that in in the real world. It would be like having two of literally the same painting. Van Gogh literally painted the same painting twice in every down to the molecule, the atomic structure of it, because that's ultimately what this is. So the NFT, the blockchain part of this NFT idea is basically saying that, well, you have exclusivity over being the, the sole owner of the original incarnation of this. It is not publishing rights. Okay. It is not. You don't own anything, really. You own the blockchain piece. You don't own anything because everybody owns it, right? Like as soon as you give birth to this digital thing and it gets distributed, anybody who bought it owns it because they own the original. It's the same as the original. There's no distinguishing apart. If they're, if you can't distinguish them, you can't own it, right? Right. It can't be like you can't own some exclusive thing. So I'm going to compare this to a couple of things that would make more sense for, for music other than like painted art, right? So like comparing NFTs to records. People collect records. Do you know why people collect records? They didn't start as records have better fidelity than other things. That's not how it started. Um, people started to collect records because they were exclusive. So if you got a first printing vinyl, it would be different than the fifth printing vinyl or the 20th printing vinyl because it was all created off the same master, but there are variations in the vinyl itself. And over time, they make copies of the master to produce more vinyl records. So as you go up higher in number, guess what? You don't have a first pressing anymore. And if you right. and and over time you do enough pressings and the quality degrades. That's why vinyl record collecting started off with the idea of getting things like, you know, old blues records first printing, you know, on a Tuesday kind of stuff. Because it was it was really about getting that fidelity. 
then people got to, to the point where just like with comic books or CGC grading them, and they're like, you can never listen to that first print of that first pressing. And that's stupid. Okay. Cause, cause then what are you collecting? Right. You, I got this record. I can't listen to really the same with books, but, but that's first printing of books, but that's what happens when anything that goes through a collecting thing, like it goes through this first phase. That's like grab them all up because of, because of a reason. And then all of a sudden yep. it becomes grab them all up because there's value attached to these. So we can't do anything to them. And then yeah. later on, it might go back the other way and just depends. So like now I think we're I back to, to the point where we listen to those records. But I, I just thought about that. I used to do that with novels. So I would buy a copy and, and oh, comic books, big time mm-hmm. in comic mm-hmm. books. I would buy one to have, buy one to read. I still do that. Well, not not, not anymore, really. But uh, um, my Funko Pops, I have ones that are sitting out like this. And then and some of them are in the box. I have the ones that are in the box. This this doesn't even have to stay in the cellophane. He has I've got the box. It in the, Sorry. He's got the box. <laughs> Everybody wants uh, JHS here knows what that means. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I've got um, uh, Rush and um, Steven Tyler. And those are all coming out of the box. But, well, no, Rush isn't. Um, but I've got a Willie Nelson because I know Willie Nelson – that yeah, one's going to go up this world. The minute he's not around for long. Yeah. And as soon as he passes, that Willie Nelson one's going to go right up through the roof. I was actually surprised how much Kirk Hammett went for recently. I was like, really? Kirk Hammett? But anyway, um, I don't care. I took it out of the box. Well, he's a Gibson it, artist it's now. He's got glue on its feet. Those are all glued down, by the way. It's that tacky glue you put on the feet to yeah. put it down, but it's still glue. Uh, but anyway, that's out of the point. Point is, I even have I have boxes of cereal that have never been opened. I have a I have a, <laughs> I have a container of Oreos that have never All been right, opened. Enough. We don't need to know anymore about your crazy science experiments. No, but that goes back to that EFT, that blockchain. It goes. You have the original that. cereal that no one ate. That's right. I have the original <laughs> box of tricks with Wonder Woman or whatever part. There, there was there was like a whole bunch of the General Mills where they put the the Justice League on the back. And you know what? I actually have a – I'm missing one, and and I think one of the kids ate the cereal out of it. <laughs> oh. so mad. And I cannot find a replacement for it, not for any amount of money. Yeah. Same. So um, the reason why, the, why NFTs for rec- – like comparing NFTs to records, the reason why records are different is because there's obviously a difference in fidelity as you go back, right? So having the original – or having yep. the master, could you imagine? And that does happen. Yeah. Um, is is truly a thing that you could pay ten, tens of thousands of dollars for. Um, whereas having an NFT, everyone has the exact same copy you do. They have the exact same a, thing. I'm going to give you a dumb example. So I was over at my friend's house. I like having CDs. I'm still old-fashioned that way. Um. This is a, this is a CD set of Alabama twenty five right, years, right. great hits. If you're an Alabama fan, all right. This what brand new went for like nineteen dollars. Oh yeah, they're, they're These pricey are now. Fifty dollars online is an uh-huh. inexpensive one, and I, I got this. In the, I took the cellophane right off of it, obviously, but. I I found this for twenty bucks. I'm like, well, that's what it's supposed to be. But most people are selling it anywhere between fifty. An inexpensive one is fifty. Uh, the guy sent me a thing because he saw that there, I looked. somehow there. eBay told him I looked at it. Um, 
and there was a um, there was some for a hundred dollars, and I was like, a hundred dollars for this? There are, you yeah. can buy this in MP3 form mm-hmm. for twenty bucks still. Uh huh. Um, yeah, you don't get the booklet. I could care less about the booklet. But, but I'm just but saying, for a collector, you know that's it, that's but, right. But you can't collect NFTs. You're not collecting right. anything. It doesn't. It's not a tangible thing that you bought. Okay, it is a right. literally a thing that says you bought the first one, even though the right. first one doesn't exist because they're <laughs> all the first one. Um, <laughs> That's so- exactly what we're trying to say. It would be like if you bought a digital Les Paul. So we're going to move on. And you can't we're, leave on. It no, to we're, your we're actually going to talk about NFTs. We're going to compare NFTs to guitars. That's the last step of this. So NFTs right. to pedals. Let's talk about pedals for a minute. So people act like, you know, well, it's a circuit, 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 right, whatever. We all know, we all know that at least in vintage pedals, we don't know what it's going to look like today, but we do know that with vintage pedals, you can take two fuzz faces, put them next to each other, and there's component drift and component selection that made them different. We know that. We know that's true of pretty much every vintage effect. Even... Things like triangle muffs and stuff that aren't really thought of as vintage as much. Um, you know, things that were made in the 70s and 80s, where like two TS-808s, you put them next to each other. One's going to have a little bit more high end than the other one, or one's going to have a little bit more bass roll off. And it just has to do with component drift. And it has to do with, um, it has to do with circuit variation. When they buy stuff in large quantities, if they don't test every component they put into a pedal, they might be different. And it even applies to boutique builders because even boutique builders, as much as they really strive for trying to get the circuit values correct going in their circuit, they know they have wiggle room in certain places because the effect has to sound like this, but they're not all going to be identical. And they sort of know that. And there are certain ones that thrive on it. ZVEX is a classic example. He makes the Fuzz Factory and he makes the the uh, Super Hard On. And that the Super Hard On boost, he says they all sound different. Like, it's just a very simple circuit with this very specific transistor, but depending on the transistor to transistor, they're all different. And he's sort of okay with that. And a lot of people are okay with that. It's a very popular pedal. Same thing with the Fuzz Factory. Depending on components and stuff that are used, they're different. So that's not an NFT comparison you can make because if you bought the NFT, your copy that is supposed to be the quote-unquote first one, which as I've already explained isn't even the thing that can't actually be a thing um, because even if it was the first one, the copy you got the second they emailed it to you or however the hell they got it to you, unless they handed you the drive unmolested in any way it, and, and you never plug it in, you don't have the first one. You don't. You don't. It, and in fact, you can even make the argument that it was lost in memory of the, com- of the computer. Like, so th- this whole tangible, like, tangible, intangible idea that we can make things tangible by using the blockchain is just, no, that's not how this works. Um, I, I work for a legal administration or legal association, and um, we are a member of the blockchain, cons- the legal blockchain consortium. And uh, so I have enough knowledge about blockchains to to make these statements. I'm not an idiot on it. I've actually worked with some of these individuals and had some very extensive conversations 
asking some very interesting questions about immutable ledgers. And I can tell you that all it is is a ledger. It's your name attached to a number that is randomly associated with this long slew of other solutions to uh, an equation that does not end. Okay. That, that's right. That, that, is, that is almost impossible to, to uh, um, we call it break. NFTs to pedals, NFTs to amps, same thing. NFTs to amps. I would argue, and some people would go into the um, uh, the ship uh, argument that I think we had in a, in a previous episode, where is it the same ship if you take the parts if you take the parts off that ship and build it somewhere else, or you know the, the whole conundrum, right? Um, is it the same ship if you replace parts? Uh, and people would argue like amplifiers are basically the same scenario, even things down to the vacuum tubes that are in the amp when you first get it, some people are like, never swap them because then it's not the original amp you bought. Um, and right. that's why you have these collectors that are looking for all original amps, including the original tubes. Um, that's the holy grail for finding a deluxe reverb is the one that has still has the original uh, power amp tubes in it even, which is nuts. You'd never want to do that um, for various reasons. Um, chances are there's no life left in those tubes. Um, same thing with speakers and that kind of thing. So it's really no different for, for amplifiers. The reason why they have value is because of their individual properties. Individual properties. What do you get when you copy a piece of software or digital data to another medium? No individual properties, except for maybe a date modified stamp that's actually not on the file. It's attached to the file, hence the term metadata. Um, so when we talk about guitars, that's where it, this like everybody knows guitars are all different. Two of the same model right off the line this year are going to be different. And it has to right. do with the wood. It has to do with the, you know, how, how consistent the hardware that was used to produce those guitars, you know, that, that like the, the bridge, for example, how consistent the metal was. It has yep. infinite variables that make each guitar individual. Now, granted, those aren't the things that we actually use to apply value to a guitar. We still use rarity because for the, for the most part, nobody's buying a guitar and going, man, that one plays better than everyone, every other guitar I've ever played. And so I'm going to give you six grand for it because it's worth $6,000 and not two. That's not how that works, right? Because our prices are largely driven by collectors. Um, and that's basically what it boils down to. But the point is, NFT of a guitar? No, because they're individual on their own. You don't need an NFT. You want to buy number one Strat? You know, David Gilmore has it. I mean, so like, that's a thing. I understand that. That's a, that's a historical item. But once you start talking about intangible things and selling something, we're not even talking about intellectual property because we're not talking about publishing rights. We're not talking about songwriters credit. We're not talking about um, even owning the, uh, the intellectual, like just the intellectual property, meaning... Um, like, so, you know, Michael Jackson bought the, the Beatles catalog by buying the, the publishing company, right? Um, we're not talking about that kind of thing. You don't own anything if you buy an NFT. You own a number that is attached to other numbers that is a solution to an equation that basically says this file belongs to you or you, you own the original file. You don't even have to have it. You can delete it. At that point, it doesn't matter because the copy is out there. No one's ever going to know. 
They're not delivering you a hard, you know, a hard drive that you can never plug in because the second you do, you're gonna you're going to erase the data that you have attached to the blockchain. That is right. this is the most ludicrous shit I have ever seen. And these these creative people that are dipping their toe in this minefield, because eventually it's going to end up in criminal court. Somebody like me is going to be like, what the hell here? And these assets are going to be devalued. That's what's right. going to happen. This is a fraud is what it is. That's right. It is a sham and it is snake oil in, in every possible way. And it's and it's not legal. It shouldn't be continuing this way. And I'm really, really frustrated when I see somebody like Joe Bonamassa saying like, well, let's see if we can make a couple bucks this way. I, well, I sort of get it. But I'm like also on the persuasion of like, dude, for real, like everybody well, I, on the other end has to know this is BS. All right. Well, all right. I'm going to I'm going to go with the devil's advocate thing here. Um, and that is this. I don't know. Is Joe Bonamassa is a, Joe Bonamassa is a very smart guy, knows how to make money. Yeah. Okay. He's, he's, he's his own promoter. I mean, get, how right. could say he's that doing it for a long time? That's right. His own promoter. He's got one man management team. I mean, the guy is just, he's literally a marketing genius mm -hmm. because he is a lifestyle brand. Yes. He really is. Joe Bonamassa could go start his own label at Gibson or Fender or whoever, and people would buy the shit out of it. I mean, that's correct. So, uh, Joe, guys if you do that, right cut there. me in. Joe, if you do that, yeah. cut me in, please. Yeah. I'm, I'm please. sick and tired of coming up with these ideas for companes like Gibson Records and not being credited for it. I'm just sick I'll of give, it. Somebody I'll pay me. The, um, Somebody that's pay right. me. I'll give the uh, the obligatory dollar to buy in. Um, <laughs> the fact is that that what I think is that um, – and he's right. Regardless of what you and I see as value in this thing, there is some ding-dong out there who thinks there's value in it. Yeah, um, there I mean, obviously bought, are. he's not the first. There's been many the, people selling NFTs. Right. What was the what was the big one? It was a gif of a cat or a uh, yeah, JPEG. That one was that was a like, JPEG, a, right? like a billion dollars or something, and it was fraudulent. They didn't own it. They didn't have the rights to sell the NFT, which made it even right. worse. Right. And it's been resold. No, it wasn't resold. But anyway, it, it because it's something you can't resell. Yeah, everybody you can't already pass it. it on to your kids. <laughs> It is literally something you have until you pass away, which go you literally can take it with you because it's nothing. And it's intangible. Right. Which is what you will be. I mean, intangible. I, I, so, like, I'm not going to pretend that, that I have a problem with intellectual property. That makes sense to me because intellectual property is usually like artistic renderings and it's like the look and feel of something or yep. it's a patent or it's, you know, a trademark design. Like, those are all yeah. things that are protected. But they're not just data. Like, it's literally right. the idea behind the data that you're acquiring. Whereas right. in this case, it's literally freaking data. When you sell a creative NFT, you're selling bullshit. That's what you're selling. I mean, that's what I, I don't know how to break this down any other way. Um, I, I, you know, and J Joe, like he's doing what a lot of people are doing right now, which is like, well, that we can still make, we can make money on this. So people actually think this is a thing. And I'm, and I don't even know if Joe necessarily understands 
what an right. NFT is. Right. Um, I think he has a good idea. He probably and does. People have pre- people have probably explained to him. Remember, he's a blues guy. He's not a not a computer guy. Um, um, I, I think he's reasonably smart, but yeah, right, right. That's what I mean. But I'm sure people have explained to him that it is like Bitcoin, in that it is a blockchain and it has a value, and that value is the value that people assign to it. Yeah, I mean, put it up for a certain amount of money, and somebody will buy it. That's basically what it is. I mean, he's he's kind of doing a Pete Rose, right? So Pete Rose was signing stuff outside. You know, um, yep. He had a shop where you could come in and he would sign stuff for you, and yep. like it sort of makes sense to do something right. like that. And this is the same thing, but it's done digitally. Basically, I have attached myself to something that Joe Bonamassa has done, and right. Yeah, I just think if you're going to sell NFTs, sell NFTs to the rights or, you know, like, so now you're on the immutable blockchain as owning the rights to X and I don't care, maybe rights to perform X or, you know, without, with impunity. Um, Right. And that kind of thing would be really cool because it would actually have a tangible value associated to it. You would be the only person able to perform that song other than Joe Bonamassa. Um, That's not what you're getting. No, that's not what you're getting. That's right. What you're getting is the first digital copy of a song. You can not set. You can't take it, put it into a, you know, run it into whatever, and then sell that song. You cannot use it in a movie. You cannot put it as your no. opening to your podcast. You can't do anything that can be attached to making money. From owning you don't that own thing. the publishing rights. You have literally donated money to Joe Bonamassa. That's what you did. You donated money to a rich guy. So, congratulations. I I saw a podcast. I won't say who it was uh, because I, I don't think he kind of really meant it in the thing that I felt when I heard it. But I was watching a podcast and it goes, if you don't want to buy you know stuff, you can make donations. And I'm thinking to myself... Donations to you. <laughs> so if you'd like to donate to us, just reach out to one of us, and we'll gladly take your money. Hey, your you know non-tax write-off a bolt. I will. <laughs> en- will I, will NF- I will NFT every episode of this podcast going forward and sell them to our That's listeners. It. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'm not going to do that. My guitars for you. I'll make this very clear. I'm not going yeah, to do that. Not doing that exactly. Um, First off, there's no value the, in our material, but uh, second right. off, it's, I have to you laugh know. at the at the um, at the uh, fact that that exists. That the, the ability to donate to someone who has that's like somebody donating money for to Jeff Bezos for his, for his <laughs> dick rocket. Yeah, for his wiener walk rocket. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's get. To, I, there were enough Doctor Evil jokes to to last a lifetime yes, from that one um, launch. Yeah, Johnson. No. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Weird. So, yeah. Uh, so let's move on to our final segment, Jim. You and I have yep. had three weeks. Uh, yeah. My gig is probably further away than whatever one you're going to talk about. So I want to talk about it first, if that's okay. Yeah, I played sure. my I played my first festival show. Oh, nice. I'm nice. 36 years old. Yes, 36. Okay. And I played my first festival show, um, which I probably should have played in my 20s. Um, but, but here I am, right. Getting back on the saddle. 
And um, it was an interesting scenario. So um, going back to my medication situation, um, I was taking a medication that was making me very manic. And the manic stuff was heightening my anxiety. And my anxiety leads to anger. And anger leads to hate. And hate yep. leads to the dark side. If you didn't know, hate leads to the dark side. <laughs> yep. So, basically, what happened was that morning, um, I had I had gotten everything ready. It was all on the cart. I was ready to go. I knew that um, I had to park in a specific place. I had driven by the venue. I knew where that place was, uh, and they were going to shuttle us to the stage, which actually wound up not being that far a walk. But um, the rest of the guys were pissing and moaning. Because there was another parking lot that was for the other stage that um, was actually facing us. So they were swapping A and B. Um, if you've never been to a festival where they did that, that's what we were doing. Um, we were on the A stage. They were on the B stage. And the B stage had more convenient parking. They were actually able to pack back their trucks right up to the um, to the stage and literally just take stuff up the ramp. Whereas the A stage, um, we had a stairway to the side where we were able to take stuff up on stage. And, um, so this is where, this is where things start to get interesting, right? So like, I'm, I'm on this medication that makes me like the Prince of Darkness pretty much. And these guys are bitching about, we're going to park over in the, in the B lot so we can unload and then, and, and we'll just leave our cars there. They're not going to say anything. And I'm like, they basically told us in the thing, if we park in the B lot, they're going to make us move. And they made it very clear where we are supposed to park. And it's actually, I'd been, I'd driven by there and I saw that there were cones and we had like specific parking spaces, um, which were relatively convenient. And um, I just, I went off and I sent them a copy of the email, like took a screenshot from my, on my computer. like, look, look at the, what they said. And, and like, that was, I, I'm trying to uh, emote exactly how I felt about this. Like, Look at this. What are you doing? Um, and um, so I finally said, screw them. And I went and I drove up there and I parked in the appropriate parking space. And uh, shortly thereafter, band leader showed up and he parked in an appropriate parking space. And then uh, I didn't see anybody else. So I texted the um, uh, the staff guy who came in, in a golf cart. And we loaded my gear on the back of the golf cart. And then I got yeah. on. He's like, he's like, oh, well, if you can get on, you can sit back here. So I had my guitar on my back and I'm sitting on like this little trailer thing that's attached to the golf cart. And there's just enough space to get my Fillmore in there long ways. So it's Fillmore's probably, I'd say, 20 inches long. Um, yeah. And so I had my box of cables behind me and my captor X mm -hmm. on top of that. And I had two yep. rails on either side. So I just held on for dear life. This guy was like an Indy car driver. I'm I'm riding to the stage. I'm like, holy shit, I'm gonna fall off the whole time. And and of course, you know, I'm also on medication, which is like not making this any better. And I'm just like, oh my God, what the hell is gonna happen to me? I am gonna fall yep. off. Not only am I gonna make a fool out of myself, I'm gonna hurt myself and I'm not gonna be able to play this gig. And my shit's gonna get damaged in the process, and I'll have to make an insurance claim and have to go through all that nonsense. And yep. um and then they pull up to the stage. I managed to hold on, which was so funny yep. because we weren't going like if I it, honestly, if I'd fallen off, what I would have probably done is just walk, 
I would have just started walking and it would have been fine. Like I wouldn't have gotten hurt. I would have just walked because we're not going more than 15, 20 miles an hour. It's a golf cart. Even though it's a diesel powered golf cart, it's, it's a golf cart. Um, so we get to the stage. I get up on stage. Uh, Kyle's there already, the, the band leader. And I just start putting my stuff up and we start sound checking. I go down, I talk to the sound guys. I'm like, Hey, I got a Captor X. They're like, cool. No problem. We got 57 on stage. We can just swap the, swap the cable. They were totally accommodating. Good sound guys. Really nice. They really wanted to make us sound good. Then we went to go sound check. Um, and we actually had extra time because the band before us ended 10 minutes early. Um, so we go to sound check and like, they're talking to us through the monitors and I can see the other guys are standing around stage, like cutting up and having a good time. I'm like, guys, we're sound checking. What the fuck are you doing? Um, and I, then they would like turn and deal with the sound guy for a minute. And then they would just go back to doing what they're doing. I'm like, Oh my God, what the, what the actual fuck? Like, um, so I'm like, I, I wanted to take advantage of this opportunity. I'm looking at this and going, we got 10 extra minutes of sound check. Like we can get a really good mix going and we can hear ourselves in our monitors, which would be nice for a change. Um, pro sound setup, pro stage. First time I've seen a stage that, you know, a setup teardown stage that looked like this. Cause I've been on other ones, but I just didn't play them. Um, and I was, you know, I was having a little bit of a euphoric moment. I'm like, ah, 36 years, finally get to do this. Um, and, so we start playing. I didn't play the best of my ability. I played as good as I could, given the situation. And like the whole time I was just, I was in the sun. My iPad shut down in the middle of the show because my iPad oh, was yeah. like half in the sun, half out. And um, fortunately it happened at like the right song. So I just shifted it over a couple couple inches. So it was out of the sun, let it cool down. I was able to get yep. back on track when I needed it, um, which was like three or four songs later. And um there were certain songs where we were really good. I brought the PRS. I probably shouldn't have brought the PRS. It's really not the right guitar for that band. And um, we got through the show and I got done and I got to see some of the footage and there, there'll probably be footage playing over this gig report. Like I did um, a couple weeks ago. Um, but I just, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the optimal situation um, to, you know, to go into and like with medication and all that, we just made it worse. But then the, then the real fun starts. So about halfway through our set, I turn around because we're on the side. There's an, a side exposed and there's actually people sitting and eating at tables on the side of us. And I actually chose to be on that side because um, I, I emote a lot. And I'm like, this will be good for the band because, you know, people can't see everybody on the other side. And the guys that are like the drummer and stuff, you can see him pretty good. But you can't see like you'd have to be in the front of the stage to see Kyle and um, – uh, John Olson. So we're like, that's, that's fine. Not a big deal. Um, so anyway, um, I see people standing there on the side of the stage grouping up and they look like musicians. And then I gradually see equipment start appearing and we're only halfway through our set. And then I look over and there's more equipment and more equipment and more equipment. And we're talking big equipment, like blocking people from being able to see my side of the stage stacks of equipment. And I'm going, who the hell band is after us? And it's a local outfit. But but when we got done, by the time I was able to tear down, and I teared down as fast as I could at this gig, they were putting stuff on the stage. 
And I, it took everything I had not to be like, stop. Because you are putting shit and I am going to lose shit because you are bringing your stuff on the stage. So I was kind of at the point where I was like, when I moved my amp so I could put my cover on it and they put their amp where my amp was, I wanted to be like, hold on. I'm about to walk right through there. What the, f like, what the actual fuck? And I'm sitting there. I was just, I was losing my mind over it. Some of it was the medication. Some of it was me just being like, are you freaking serious? And the guy was kind of making a comment like, when are you guys going to be out of here? And it's like, I was looking at my watch. I go, you guys are playing for another hour and a half. Like, what right. the hell do you actually have going on? You think you're going to sound check while the other band's playing? They're not going to allow that. Like, what the actual fucking, like, so, um, I get all my stuff off stage. I actually stage it down next to the stage. I have some people with me, mm -hmm. so they help me babysit my gear while I'm waiting for the golf cart to come pick me up. Um, and as I'm babysitting my stuff, I see what this band actually has and the kind of crap. Now, let me give you an idea of what the size of the stage was. Um, it was probably, I want to say like 15 by 12 or 17 by 15. It was not big. Okay. And this band had two full stacks, um, which they were putting on the set stage, you know, two cabinets next to each other, a Hammond organ, a Leslie rotating speaker cabinet, multiple keyboards, um, and there were mics up there for three vocalists. They were, they had a drum kit with double bass drums, uh, like big, big old drum kit, um, way too big for that stage. And they're trying to shove all this stuff on the stage and they literally have like 10 guys helping them do it. And I'm just sitting there, I'm shaking my head. It's like, you guys aren't even getting paid for this. And not only that, you're playing on this little ass stage with gear that probably wouldn't fit on a big festival stage where I'm like, you guys are crazy. Like, who the, what in the hell is actually going on? I won't mention the name of the band because it is embarrassing. Um, but I know I got on the golf cart with the, uh, with the promoter and he loved us. I don't, I don't know what his deal was. Um, but, but he's like, he's like, what? He's like, I, I actually was, uh, he said, I was actually over here. He's the cart was parked around the corner. He said, I was standing there and I was uh, watching them uh, bring in the Hammond and stuff. And he's like, what the hell do they actually think they're going to do with all this? How are they going to get this all on stage? Like I said, I have no idea. I said, somebody's going to be standing next to the stage is what's going to happen. And yeah. um, he was just laughing. He's like, I had no idea. Cause he's like, they play here almost every year. And he's like, they never bring out this kind of crap. And I'm like, somebody's got an ego. And they want to, they want to boost their ego. So that's what this is. Cause he's like, you guys had perfect setup and tear down. He's like, you brought a one by 12 combo. And he's like, you just ran the direct out. And he's like, it sounded great. Through the mains. Um, and he's not even like, he's not even the sound guy or anything. He's the, he's the promoter, like the guy that works for the park district. And he's like, you guys were super easy to deal with. You, you did what you said you were going to do. You came in and, you know, like set up and tear down really quick. You did a good sound check, which I was like, yeah, no, we didn't. Um, and he was like, I don't understand why some of these bands, because he was talking about another band that was there the night before, who I've also had run-ins with before. And he's like, mm -hmm. I don't understand how, you know, these bands act this way. 
And I'm like, yeah, dude, I don't know. And I and I said to be honest with you, like bands like that, I I don't I don't even know how much they're getting paid. I can't imagine they're they're getting that much because there's just no market for for what they're doing right now. Um, so I don't know. It's the whole thing. And apparently, um, so somebody told me that they stayed a little bit for their set and that that was like the first time they performed post COVID. Um, but they also said that they don't really perform outside the taste of Roselle festival. <laughs> so, uh, it was kind of like, man, that's cause they didn't have it last year. You know, like they only come out for that and like one other gig a year, you know? Um, so it was, it was interesting. It was, it was wild. It was crazy. Uh, when I got back to the car, I loaded everything up and just drove home. I was like, I'm, I'm not sticking around for any of this nonsense. Um, huh. But if that ends up being old Stumpy's last gig, it was good. It was good while it lasted. It was fun. I uh, I wish those guys the best. Uh, I know some of them listen to the podcast, um, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to play there and you know all the other things we've done over the years. So, um, Jim, you've got a gig report. You get you got a big gig now. Like you've, you, <laughs> you, you seem kind of like you might be in over your head. <laughs> You're like I don't know if I can handle yeah, all this. Know, right? It's like. Um, so we, uh, we played, um, locally to get canceled because of heat and uh, rain. So one big one, uh, that was one that was big, that was 106 degree. They were like, no, we're not doing it. Cause they were both outdoor gigs. Um, both outdoor, so gigs, last night, both outdoor gigs, 106 degrees. Yeah. One okay. with thunderstorms on top of it. Okay, because you were cutting it out. I wanted to make sure your audience were clear what was oh, going on. Oh, I'm sorry. On. And yeah. one, yeah, one, um, the heat index of 106, and the other one had thunderstorms. Um, both big gigs. Am I okay now? Yeah, good? perfect. All right, so um, so we played another gig last night, and uh, it was kind of a big deal. So our lead singer um, is very um, connected. So... Uh, we had reps from I don't remember what the what the company was, to be honest with you, but um, it was Sure or somebody like that, and um, Audio Technica. Okay, Audio Technica. Okay, they have a big AR department over there. Yeah, and so um, they had one of the artists there that that also is connected friends, real life friends with um, our lead singer. So. Um, now we we do a mix of '90s um, rock, like uh, uh, we don't go to the Nirvana end of it, but we do like Shine Down or not not Shine Down. That's 2000s, but Shine and um, things like that. Uh, so uh, think Red Hot Chili Peppers. Think um, uh, what is it? Alice in Chains. Think that kind of thing. Pearl Jam. That kind sure, of thing. sure. So uh, we also do 2000s stuff as well. So anyway. Not to go too in depth, Jim. I'm Jim, can I ask a question? Do you yeah. do you do it all for the Nookie? Do you play that kind of two thousand stuff? Yeah, no, 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 Limp Biscuit, no, no, thank God, no. <laughs> Good Lord, no. I, I I will not play that. I I don't think that that's. I'm so glad to hear that. Way. I'm so glad but, to yeah, hear that. I don't draw a lot of lines on stage. That's I draw that. one you draw. <laughs> yeah, I would do their version of um uh Faith. what was the Who song Behind Blue Eyes? Yeah, oh. but. I will not do that song, not for not for any amount of money. Um, so, anyway, 
So we're up there and um, taking. We only took one break. We do one really long set. We take a short break and then we come in for a short set and we finish the night. So I'm up there. Um, I'll send you a picture. Um, I'm up there in in a white shirt that says "Never underestimate an old man with Les Paul." And it's got a big old Les Paul across the front and everything else. Somebody comes up to me. I got this. I comes up to me goes, so you like Gibson guitars? Yeah. <laughs> it was, like... I found out later it was the rep, the AR person for that bit. Anyway, I, I thought it was funny. Um, she loved the guitars. She, uh, big thing. And she said, man, you bring a lot of you know energy and your your harmonies and your, your playing. And right, right, right. Your style to the stage and so on and so forth. Said a lot of great things about my playing, which she could have been blowing smoke up my ass. Who, who knows? Who cares? It felt nice. Um, and then um, the artist was going to come up. And uh, he and Tim had worked this out beforehand. It wasn't like he came up and goes, can I do a couple songs on your stuff? No. And Tim's got a nice high on Taylor, so... He got on the tailor and did the song, just solo, just did the song solo. Um, and did a couple of songs from his um, years, uh, and he's uh, um, a really uh, a connected guy. And um, so his name is Jason Michael Carroll, and Carroll was two, with two L's, Michael C-H. Um, if you look him up... He had uh, he came up with the the bro country people, you know, bro right, country right, right. Um, folks. But let me tell you something. I listened to the guy play. He did solo. He did two songs solo. I listened to him play. I listened to him sing. And you don't meet a lot of people who literally could go right off that microphone and that that guitar and just it, the place exploded mm-hmm. with like. People, people were like, I don't know this guy. And then he sang it. It was like, whoa. Why don't, then, why don't um, I? <laughs> all the cell phones came out. Everybody's recording. And I hear a voice literally from the heavens coming down and raining down. What? That's a guy. We didn't have anything good. We had maybe a little reverb built into the, of the thing. Yeah. He just filled the room. And the acoustic guitar was just lightly strumming because something was going on with the output of the acoustic and he just made the place just open up. It's, it's at that moment that you realize when you, when you see the pros, even a guy who didn't, he, he went on to, he, he found that his wife and children were more important to him than becoming the big, huge star. Okay. So let me tell you, wonderful, wonderful guy. Still has a bunch of um, uh, followers. Still has great, you know, everybody um, uh, that, that his fans are real fans. And I can see why. I can see why this guy had integrity. And I'm not saying that people who make it, because um, he was he was a friend and, and guy that ran with, you know, Luke Bryan and those guys. He said, they're, they're all great guys. But, you know, I picked my family over that. And um, that was... It was what it is. Lone Star did the same thing. Uh, it's a really, um, it's a really mature um, situation to find yourself in, and to, to be able to make that decision. And most right. people don't make that decision. They try to juggle both, and it ends up being a disaster for a lot of folks. One of, so. one of them gives. One of them always gives. Um, and so it was. It was nice to share the um, the room and the stage with a guy that that um, was like that, and to hear the things that he had to say about us. Mm. Um, 
you know, to have him there and all the cell phones that shared out that stuff, you know, that's a bunch of people are going to go, hey, man, those guys must be, you know, really good. good. Yeah. yeah. Well, you guys are booking pretty big gigs anyway. So I got to imagine that some of that star power that you guys bring out is um, is working to your advantage in terms of booking gigs. Like that's a really yeah. good strategy, actually. Yeah, I got to tell you this, though. It's funny because this is one of those sound on stage sounds shitty compared to the sound. <laughs> I'm sitting behind my monitor. <laughs> I'm like, sounds like we're in a freaking vacuum. <laughs> it's terrible. Luckily, I can hear my guitar behind me. And, and the, the lead singer's right next to my left ear. So I've got a, enough of his voice coming in because I'm singing harmonies for the most part. And, of course, I'm playing based on what he's the drummer's right behind me. My my, I had my Fender Twin, the Tone Master, um, plug going straight into the amp or straight into the PA. I really am enjoying it, you know, for the most part. But let me tell you something. It was it was funny uh, too because I'm thinking to myself, I wonder what it sounds like out there. So during a, a, a short period that I could, I'm wirelessly going out into the room. I was like, wow, it sounds good out here. It sounds like dog shit up there. <laughs> it's outside. Yeah, and that, and we were talking about that actually at Good Time. Uh, I was there uh, Friday, and we were talking about the fact that um, how sound and and really just sound in general, like it's like a whole different world in certain places. And if you have a sound guy and those kinds of things, um, yeah, we had a sound. We can elaborate more on that at the end of this. Actually, I know you have more story yeah. to tell. So, oh no, you, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, the the crowd was. This place was packed. They could not get drinks to people or food to people fast enough. Yeah. Um, there was there was no room. There was no seats. It was standing room. Um, even outside, they had at first it was thunderstorms. So they had the uh, th- this place had like a big garage door mm-hmm. that goes outside right to right to the beautiful canal that goes um, through um, a lot of uh, um, high end boats and stuff. There's actually a marina right there. Um, right. So all these people are hearing us and listening to us and so on and so forth. And uh, uh, really high apartments, high-end apartments and stuff that kind of wander in. And so you've got a lot of – you've got foot and, and water and road traffic. It's a big road, uh, four-lane that goes through. Um, so it's really nice, really fun. And all of a sudden it's like you're, you're uh, realizing how many people can pack this thing. And it was packed. And not – not, I'm not saying that they didn't stick around for, um, you know, uh, Carol. It's just that it was amazing the number of people that came, stayed, um, really, they danced, they, they enjoyed it. It was not that I've never had this, but it was nice to see again. It was nice to experience the um, thing. And when I, when I sang Hurt So Good, um, that was just an explosion of, of uh, people enjoying the heck out of what we were doing. So I, I had a blast. Um, I'm so uh, I I I realize we might be looking, you know, at maybe things going into a bit of a a lull for a while. I don't think it'll last long. No, I think it's just gonna it'll turn around as soon as the numbers drop. But right. I but I do anticipate we are gonna see uh, a marked yeah. shift from in policy from from local governments and stuff. Um, right. So I got two shows coming up. Uh, I'm actually going to see Greg yep. Cock on the 20th. Um, oh, nice. And I'll be yeah, seeing, that's right. I'll be seeing Mark Letary, I think, on the 7th. 
on oh, September. Nice. So I got in a very small venue, the place where I actually do open jam. Yeah, they got Mark Letary really? coming in. Yes. No. Um, wow. And I'm seeing Greg Cock actually at Brower House where I used to do open mic. And I believe he's in the front room at uh, Brower House. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, he'll well, be that, on the same yeah. stage that I've been on numerous That's times. That's not really a long drive for him, right? No, he's, he's in Wisconsin. So Wisconsin, um, right? Is and, he in the walking area? Yeah. Because he sounds like he's in like that. Uh, yeah, he's in the he, he's in the Milwaukee belt. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, it, it'll be fun. But okay. I wanted to take a minute because you were talking about sound and like how crappy monitor mixes can get and just take a brief aside from uh, and, and maybe we'll make this exclusive content from the gig report um, and just talk about in general, like live sound and some of the challenges that that you and I have both have experienced undoubtedly um, mm-hmm. and share kind of some experiences of somebody that um, has played on big stages like Milwaukee Summerfest stages and stuff yep. like that. And, you know, 10,000 seats um, on the lawn kind of deal with, you know, a stage mm-hmm. so wide that you literally like people look smaller on the other side. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yep. and um, he was talking about like the first time he played one of those stages. Um, it was like he walked out there and he realized that there was more equipment for monitoring on the stage that they use than, than he had ever seen used for mains. And it was like side fills and like four monitors per, per, per performer. And um, just the realization that like, wow, we're actually going to be able to hear ourselves. And they could literally route like each instrument in a different monitor t- for the for the person and like realizing how important that was to their situation. But also he shared with me an interesting thing. There was a customer in the store looking to buy an amplifier so that they could run direct. Um, so they wanted to be able to have on stage sound and direct sound. And they were talking about in-ears and they were talking about, um, they were talking about um, PA equipment and how their, how, their PA really wasn't adequate, so they wanted they didn't want to go to a four twelve, but they yeah. wanted to have the you know they wanted to be able to hear themselves, and it was like he basically said, and and he said what I what I would say too, which is that if you can't hear yourself with modern PA equipment like with like powered speakers, like let's say you go buy the cheapo Alto, um, ten inch to fifteen inch powered speakers for your setup, so you got two fifteens for mains. And then you have like 12s on the floor for your, your wedges or, and if you're really gifted, you can have 15s on the floor for wedges and you have one per performer across the front line. There's like various hurdles to doing this. Cause you need to have enough aux sense to give each performer their own monitor mix. Um, yep. And that's, that's the first thing that like people don't seem to understand. Cause I see people buy boards all the time. And it's like, how the hell are you going to use that board live? It's only got two auxes on it the hell you think you're doing exactly um i don't even know why they produce boards with two oxes on it they're they're very very limited i mean that's like that's like a board used for public address for like you know a speaker at a conference or something that's not a board used to to do a concert okay um and then they and then they like they get their buddy joe bob to come out and be their sound guy i'm gonna use joe bob Uh, no offense to anybody named joe bob that actually listens to the show but joe bob sounds like a silly name so we're gonna use joe bob joe bob comes out and does sound now, Joe Bob does sound for a lot of people. He pay he, you pay him in beer. You give him a six pack of beer, and he comes out and he runs your faders. 
And that's all yep. he does. He might do some panning and he might run yep. some faders. But the reality yep. is this. Um, he's not EQing shit. And so like the first test, if you if you if you go to a gig and the sound guy's there and you got feedback coming in your main microphone, like your vocalist yep. microphone, um, number one, they're not doing any EQ at all whatsoever. I can tell you that right now verbatim. And that is the first time where you should go. Can you at least cut the damn bass? Because that's what's causing your problem. 99.9% right. of the time is there's too much bass coming off the um, the main microphone. Or they're using a crap microphone, which you run into that too. Um, now there are counterfeit SM57s and 58s everywhere. And yep. you would be shocked by what sound guys, sound guys, I use in quotations because these people are not professionals, have got in their cabinet when they come out. They have a microphone bag and then they pull out these 57 or 58s that look real janky. <laughs> they might be counterfeit. And you'll find out real fast when they start uh, feedbacking like at a moment's notice. Um, and the other thing I've seen a lot of is like they don't turn things up as loud as they should be, um, especially in monitors. It's like, well, we don't want to blow them. You don't know what the limitations of your system are. I mean, if your monitor is running at half volume, like you look in the volume on the back of it set at half yep. and they're running the fader at half, you're only getting a quarter of what that thing can put out. And yep. I think people tend to think like um, those those pieces of equipment are meant to run on the edge of distortion. That's that's what they're meant for. Um, you're, you're supposed to find where it starts distorting and back off. And... I think that's the biggest challenge and people think that like these club owners are going to be really anal about it. Listen, if your club has a stage where you're playing, they're not going to care about volume as much because they understand that there's live music here and that we actually have an area devoted to this because this brings customers in, uh, in general, yep. you can get away with more in those environments than you can when there isn't one. And so that's why I'm like, when you tell me you're at a, you know, fancy, swank place and like your monitor mix is terrible i just kind of shake my head because i'm like what the hell are they doing then i mean they have a responsibility to get you guys to perform your best especially if you guys are paying a sound guy if he's the house sound guy he's he's working for beer he don't care but um i can i can tell you right now number one the guy the sound guy we were using last night um never worked with this uh this stuff and that's part of and, it. If, they, if they're not familiar with the gear, that was the next thing I was going to say. And they may not be familiar with the gear, and that may be part of it too. Um, but Number two, I think he was more worried. He was trying hard. Um, but he was more worried about trying to be impressive than just once it works, leave it the fuck alone. Yeah. Um, type thing. So he was trying, he was trying to make changes to monitor mixes and stuff while things are going on. It's like, if I get a good monitor mix, which, which part of the, that was part of the issue at the Roselle show. I did. Cause I was so pissed off at the guys. I didn't like really work on my monitor mix when we were sound checking. They're like, can you hear drums? Can you hear? And I'm like, yeah, I can hear them. And I'm sitting there thinking like, you know, maybe I could hear a little bit more of my guitar and I just didn't voice that. And that was my fault. Um, yeah. But in that kind of situation, that would be my fault, right? But like when you're dealing with um, things like EQ and the front of house stuff, like yep. that's all them. 
you know, and and so it's a it's a two way it's a two way path. But like you said, you can run into guys who are just not familiar with the system too. And so, like, yep. they're make trying to make changes on the fly because that's what they're used to doing. But what they don't realize yep. is because they don't know the system well enough. Like, I'm just making mistakes left and right, and it's causing problems on stage. Um, I've definitely been in some situations like that before. Um, but it was just uh, – I wanted to get across the fact that, like, there were some things told to me that really seemed to resonate in that conversation. And one of the ones that, that really got me, and I'm sure Pat – would tell everybody this story. Pat from Good Time Music, uh, he's the owner purveyor there. Um, would say, and I and I thought this is great wisdom. When you go on stage and you turn your equipment up, if the sound guy says to you, "You're going to overpower my PA," you got the wrong sound guy. Um, and and he said, and and then he and then he turned around and he kind of reversed it and he said, "When you go on stage and the sound guy goes." You can turn it up if you want, you, you know, like give me what you just set it up the way it sounds good and we'll, we'll work with it. That's the sound guy you want. And those guys do exist. They're just few and far between, um, especially right. nowadays. There's just not market for those people to have permanent employment doing that kind of work. Now he was fortunate right. enough. He was in the time period when, you know, those guys were still around. Many of them were still in the field. Um, they hadn't, they hadn't, the, the uh, live music climate had not changed enough that they like dropped out of it. And so it worked out for him. Um, he got really good sound guys that did most of their shows um, and really took care of them. But he also ran into situations like club dates where the house sound guy is also the bartender, you know, and it's like, no, right. no, you're going to let me touch the board because you obviously don't know what you're doing. Um, and I have run into those guys before. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I run. I would rather have a, a sound person who knows two things: their gear, okay, and the gear they're running using. Number one, and number two, more importantly, the place. Yeah, you said it. All right. Well, I think that's it for tonight. Uh, I yep. have been David. Hi, Jim. And tonight we've been practical guitarists. Yes, we have.